The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the nail marks, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and bring your hand and put it in my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. I often wonder what Thomas had such a hard time believing exactly. That Jesus rose from the dead? Or that he appeared to his friends? Perhaps it was that he and his friends would be able to do even greater works than Jesus, which is what Jesus told them. Or that they would have the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive sins and transform the world. That they could set a foundation then for what we do today. Admittedly, it's all a little hard to believe. I think we too would do well to assess our belief. Do we really believe that we are capable of everything that Jesus did? Do we really believe that we too can do the miracles, the kind of stuff that we read about in the Bible? Do we really believe that our forgiveness is also the forgiveness of God and likewise? That what we cannot forgive is held against them as well as ourselves. 
Do we believe that even though in the not too distant future there will be fewer masses and fewer confessions and churches will be closed and schools will be closed because of changing times, that the church will survive because it is more about people like you than it is about people like me? Do we believe all of that? Because I'm not sure in our heart of hearts how many people really do. After all, it is hard to believe many of the things that Jesus told us. That's why I think we hear this story of Thomas every year right after Easter. We hear it because we all struggle believing in the promises of Christ. Perhaps you are more doubtful of those promises this year than you were in the past. Perhaps this year is a little bit easier. So many people seem to believe that it's wrong to doubt God, but it's not true. If there is anything wrong with doubt, it's merely that we tend to wallow in it. But doubt is what gives rise to the questions that eventually give rise to the peace that we are promised in the gospel. Sometimes that peace comes with answers, sometimes it doesn't. But nor does the peace of Christ require answers as much as we may like it to. It does, however, take time, and it takes attention. That's why we celebrate Easter for 50 days. It takes time for us to trust in the resurrection and all its implications. It takes time for us to trust in the transformation that is not only needed, but is also occurring. Lately, the doubts and questions that have been on my mind have been about how we bring about transformation and change when things are okay. How do we bring about the change that is needed, or at least perceived to be needed, when things are okay? It's easy for us, I think, to live off the laurels of our past, off the sacrifices that other peoples have made for us. But what does it take for us to make changes before the moment when those changes are in fact now a reaction to something that has to happen? That's been my question lately. And I think this question, if I've, as I've been thinking about it, concerns motivations, which seems to me are fundamentally a question of relationship. Because I think what keeps us from change is usually fear of difference, of discomfort, the loss of status and of control and things like that. And it seems to me that those kinds of fears are usually somewhat selfish because it's often about a lack of trust in the people around us and in God. And this isn't to say that we shouldn't have concern and caution, but to be afraid is to distrust our resilience and the resilience of others, of our children and of others' loved ones. And thus, fear, it seems to me, is usually focused on an individual instead of the community, which brings us to the other end of the spectrum, trust, belief, 
and ultimately love. I don't think any of these things are possible without a relationship, without a level of intimacy. I think that's why Thomas had to do more than just see. Thomas had to touch. He had to feel. I think that's part of the instruction for us. If we don't see ourselves in relationship to one another, then I think there's very little motivation to change when things are just okay. After all, we don't need each other when things are okay. And so then I think that maybe that's why Jesus left us this form of worship as a reminder of him. This form of communion that brings us together to share a meal. That ultimately, somehow here, we are meant to learn that this is not just about me and God, but it is also about each other. And thus we have the vertical and the horizontal that bring us to the cross. So I'd like to leave you with a bit of assignment this week. I realize that it's exam mode and it seems to be the season. Some of you may be overwhelmed with enough exams already, but I figure we're in the spirit of the academic year. I'd like you to go home and draw a diagram that puts you in the middle. And then think about the other people that are in your life. And you can draw circles around them and you can link them to solid lines or dotted lines, however you wish to do it. And then I want you to think about the world that we live in, or maybe even the neighborhood or the city that we live in. And if you're honest, ask yourself, who's missing in your diagram? Who are the people that, aren't, that we aren't connected to, but we actually are? We just don't think about? And then we need to ask ourselves, what are the changes that we need to make in our life so that they aren't not on our diagram, so that they're not left out. Because we do have the power to do even greater things than Jesus did. We have the capacity for change if we can only see ourselves as related and responsible for one another.